You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. Please listen to me very carefully. This is anything but a commercial. On January 1st, 1985, a time traveler from the future will arrive in time present in a TTM time-traveling machine on a special mission. He will carry with him a crucial message from his superiors in the 30th century to the leaders of the world in 1985, trying to convince them that advancing World War III would guarantee a better future. This is the story of that mission. I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. It's not human, I can tell you that. It's anything but human. They are robots. Did you say robots, Hiroshi? May I telecall you again after reaching destination? Well, as they say down there in the 20th century, don't telecall us. We shall telecall you. Hey, what's that? No electricity. Here too. What's going on? In tonight's news magazine, the blackout in New York City and Moscow. Well, I think, John, that somebody thinks that even if he tears the universe apart, Skinny Baby can put it together again. The trouble is, I don't think she can. The Red Alert, announced some ten minutes ago in the armed forces of the United States and the Soviet Union, has shocked both NATO and Warsaw Pact allies. friends welcome to the projection booth i am your host mike white joining me from two hours in the past is mr rob st mary i'm a black belt in my mind and from seven hours in the future is mr yaniv edelstein hello folks this week we are going off the beaten path in a big way looking at a feature from poet writer director david avadan a message from the future released in 1981 the film is set in the far distant year of 1985 where a visitor from 3005 comes back in time to give us the titular message what is it why is he here and just what the heck is this film we're hoping to figure this one out if you want to watch the movie before listening to the show we've posted it over on youtube and it's over on our website projection-booth.com now, we don't do that with every rare film that we cover, and with this one, it's most likely to be in the public domain, and if it's not, we apologize. But if you want to stick it out without seeing the film, go right ahead. Good luck. Now, Yaniv, I have to ask, when was the first time that you saw this film, and what did you think? 
Well, as as you know, we have a bit of a history with this film, right, Mike? You know, I've forgotten most of it. You and I were friends just because of your zine, because of Kashir's The Cinemart. I emailed you. It was before social networks, right? And somehow we kept in touch. And at some point you wrote me in, with a list of, uh, I don't know, a few Israeli rare films. And you were like, uh, do you have access to any of these? And I was like, um, sure, I guess. What's it for? And you were like, well, there's this guy... Uh, this other collector who's really after these films and I really need to have them so I can have them and not give it to him. That does sound like Does that me. sound like you at all? Very vindictive, yes. Feel free to cut this out, you know, I'm telling it the way it is. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I got a couple of these movies and, um, and made you a copy and uh, yeah, I think I sat there and watched it as it was being either digitized or duplicating or whatever. And yeah, I mean, this is, this is one, one weird film, is it not? And I think actually you sent me in return some rare VHS copies of, uh, what is it, Ganja and Hess or something. Being a connoisseur of uh, Israeli film, I saw this 25 years ago. No, I saw this when you sent me the link, <laughs> I think, to see it. And I have to say it is one of the uh, strangest films I've ever seen. And there's a lot in here that makes me go, man, there must be a lot of really heavy pot going around Israel between about 1972 and 1982, because between this and the other one that Yaniv's connected to, American Hippie in Israel, wow, that's all I can say. There's definitely a lot of, a lot of similarities, uh, some obvious and some less obvious, between these two movies. Yeah, this one is uh, it's interesting. Uh, even though, Yaniv, you made me a copy of this forever ago, I didn't watch it until just recently. One of those, you know. Yeah, because you just needed it as a bargaining chip. Exactly. But I had it around for a long time, and oh, man, this movie kind of blew my mind. It is just um, fairly incredible. It really reminds me a lot of like an Ed Wood production in that it feels like there's a lot of heart involved with it but not a lot of technical finesse. And there's a lot of repetition of things, especially the music, especially the song that plays whenever we see FM. You thought American Hippie was a movie that had the same song over and over a million times. It has, has nothing on this one. This one is just one tune that's heard probably for like 40 minutes of the movie's running time. You hear the same damn tune. It's a progenitor to MTV, right? Serious. With that music video that's in the middle of it. Yeah, the, the weird Kraftwerk ripoff music video. Yeah, the whole movie just stops. So we get one performance that goes on for the entire song from first note all the way to fade out. Well, I actually yeah. like that. That's like Oh Lucky Man. They do that for like a, t- a bunch of different songs. You know that movie Oh Lucky Man? I actually like that. That's a, like a, a cool idea. But it's a weird song and it's called Radioactivity and it's this synth pop song but it's not Kraftwerk's radioactivity it's a different it's like a knockoff and uh, David Vidan gets credit for writing the lyrics to the songs to the two songs the two very strange songs in the movie is the other one the sunglasses song yes (laughs) that Rob quoted in the beginning I am a black belt in my mind so good 
let's talk about the plot a little bit here. I'm going to try to explain this movie, and it's going to sound so strange to people that haven't seen this, and even the people that have seen it, it's still strange. It's like a weird, perverse, bizarro version of The Day the Earth Stood Still, kind of, where there you have like super intelligent alien being coming to Earth to warn us of our uh, warmongering ways and tell us to learn the lesson and, and you know, avert World War Three. And this is a movie where a man comes from the, from the future to tell us actually basically the exact opposite, which is go ahead, do World War Three right away, because that's the way forward. Learn war, forget peace. It always takes too long for us to get to these wars, and you just got to jump ahead and do it now. Which is one of probably the best synopsis you're going to get, is what he just said there. I mean, in a lot of ways, Mike, trying to explain this film reminds me of when we went back to um, uh, WR. And we're trying to explain WR or Sweet Movie to someone during that episode. And it's, yeah, you you kind of have to see it. I mean, the, the basic theme is what you already said, the basic plot, yeah. I was reminded a little bit, too, of The Man Who Fell to Earth as far as this alien who comes in and kind of is perverted by our society a little bit. But because FM, our main character, Future Man, he gets into some strange situations, especially when it comes to uh, the character Shelly or Shelly Baby, as I like to call her, who (laughs) the actress stays nude probably, what, 90% of the time that she's on screen. She and Dr. Dan Ziv are just going at it throughout most of the film. And that kind of surprised me because I'm ignorant of what you can get by the censors in Israel. I mean, can you get away with that? One of the parallels between American Hippie and this movie is that they were both made, obviously, by complete outsider talents who were, had no ties to cinema in any way or form. Both of them also have a lot of nudity. Actually, I think American Hippie set some precedents with nudity because it did some things that weren't allowed and uh, caused like some kind of furor. I saw some historical documents that said this movie, American Hippie, has too much nudity and we have to tighten our censorship in the future. But I think that only applies when you get like government funding. So I think if you get some kind of outside funding, you could do whatever you, whatever you want. And of course, it's 1981, so it's a different world. And probably now it's completely permissive that you could do anything you want. But back then... But I think also there wasn't really a film industry. So I think if he didn't get any um, government money, then he can do whatever he wants, basically. Well, it's funny because David Avedon's first film, his short film Sex from 71, I want to say, that was allegedly banned for content. So he kind of has a history of uh trying to push the boundaries when it comes to his film work. And he's one of these guys, I guess kind of like Ed Wood, where it is writer, director, lyricist, as we've mentioned. He's even not the the star, but he's definitely one of the main actors in the film, this kind of mentor teacher to FM, who... Another weird thing about this movie, it is an Israeli film, but it is primarily in English, but it's almost all voiceover. It's all of these conversations that are happening between FM and his mentor, and they're all done VO, um, you know, post-sync kind of stuff. And it is just 
which always kind of adds this irreality to a scene and to have these long conversations and they have this like weird like quippy kind of dialogue to one another and it's kind of futurized where they're throwing in like future language and all this and it's just like what what is going on here and they of course they all have these devices on their heads though avadan sometimes doesn't have the device on his head but he's still speaking telepathically to fm sometimes from the future sometimes they're in the same thing and yeah it's just that's yet another odd piece of this film i am aware of you master where are you now this is a direct telereach from our major time terminal our original space time i shall try to be very concise as the contact is good and clear now do you read me please continue master We are very pleased with you, number five. From now on, your name will be F.M. for Future Man. Don't ever respond to any other name than these initials. And don't let the fact of their being identical with those of an archaic vocal communication system still in use in the 20th century worry you a bit. In fact, the double meaning of your initials will function in your interest. Now, the new Cold War situations you have remote controlled are very funny indeed. Personally, I loved every micro-minute of your Japanese-American-Russian-German maneuvers. At this point, however, I would already like you to prepare for our open takeover. Before you do so, how about remote controlling another country into the game, which, next to the new alarming German intonation, will leave the entire 20th century in no further doubt as to the complete seriousness of WW3? Oh, no. Oh, yes. I, I say they're ventriloquists of blinking light, meaning the sci-fi films where they stare at people and then the blinking light that's attached to them moves, you know, in some sort of rhythm while they're talking. So it, that's what it is. They seem to stare at each other and then the lights blink and then you hear the voice. So there's kind of like, what, three main plots that are happening in this film. There's the FM story. There's the story of Shelley Baby and Dr. Dan Ziv, where they're just constantly screwing each other. And then there's the story of the Japanese guy who has made robots. Did you say robots, Hiroshi? Yes, Jack. Robots. These robots who fight karate, and that seems to be about it. They're so good that they could never beat one another. Well, he creates this remote control. Isn't that the thing? He creates this remote control and he just taps it and then he can get these people and things to do his bidding. Right, right. He comes back from the future and he has this amazing remote control that controls everything from doors to people. He can teleport people from place to place, but it only has one button on it. So <laughs> he just he just thinks it. And he, actually, you know, I thought it was stupid at first, but when I thought about it a bit more, I thought if man, if people had this these amazing abilities... You'd want to have like a button because if you if you had these amazing telepathic abilities to teleport people, you, you have to have like another buffer, like so you don't just think it and then it happens. So you have a you have I think like a safety, which is like the button. You think it and then you press it and the thing happens. But the thing, if you just look at it, it's just a dumb prop with just one button on it. <laughs> well, actually, that was an Apple design because he was very much um, you know uh, end of his time, yeah, by Steve Jobs and that very clean design, you know, where it's just one button and that's it, and there you go. 
He predicted the one-button mouse. This movie predates the Macintosh, doesn't it? I think 1985, well, you know, there was the famous 1984 commercial. I think that that was kind of, you know, right there warning us about FM coming back from the future. (laughs) On January 24th, Apple Computer will introduce Macintosh. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. Avidan comes from poetry. He's a man of words. And actually, you know, this movie is very, very verbose and people are very philosophical throughout the movie. And that's actually really central to it. He had a lot of philosophy that he wanted to lay down on on what he thinks about the future. There's wordplay going on and there are funny moments, but then there are moments where I'm like, I'm not sure if this is supposed to be funny or not, but I'm still laughing. Like the sunglasses thing, like I I don't even understand where that scene comes from. Look into the sun, man. Look straight into the sun, man. Look straight into the sun, woman. Woman, look into the sun. Now, everybody take off your sunglasses. Everybody take off your bloody shitty sunglasses and throw them into the eternal water. Everybody blind forever, see forever. Yeah! Just strange. And then the newscasters skinny baby aka stella and tom and their dialogue which i think is supposed to be funny but it's delivered so hackneyed that it's funnier the way that they say it or don't say it than what they actually do say what do you say john well apart from not letting us see his teeth he looked like a real pro to me if this guy will hang in here the next few days and come on the air whenever he pleases we shall have to look for another job he's definitely a superstar Anybody can see that. That, again, reminds me very, like, those kind of stilted deliveries that we're going to get in an Ed Wood film, too. That would be hard to explain. That's the understatement of the year. Yeah, the, the, especially I love the actress who plays the newscaster. She, she looks so embarrassed to be saying these lines, like, <laughs> get me out of here, look in her eyes. And there's the one part where Isaac Asimov shows up. Not the real Isaac Asimov. <laughs> Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, oh, Margaret Thatcher. She's a dead ringer, man. This woman just says something and somebody says, yes, Madam Thatcher. And you're like, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Isaac Asimov shows up and he's kind of, you know, questioning FM. And then FM's like, yes, Dr. Asimov. And the guy goes, how did you know my name? And they cut to a wide shot and it says Dr. Asimov in yes. front of him. <laughs> It's exactly like an American hippie, you know, they sit and they say, the girl says, let's build a raft. And he says, great idea, baby, but there's no trees in, in, on this island. And behind him, there's trees in the shop. <laughs> well, it's well the other one that's good is the series of TV cut-ins and press conferences from around the world. Oh, yeah. The, the budget on this thing must have been in the billions. Yeah. And in order for you to know who you're dealing with in each one, there's like a cliche thing in the frame for example the russian press conference they're pouring shots of vodka so you know it's obviously russia right i'm surprised when they cut to the uk it doesn't go no but in the but apparently on chinese tv they have chinese restaurant decor on the walls when they cut to japan it goes and remember the the germans declaring here that they did not lose the war so there you have it yeah we've got all the power centers 
that uh, FM is reaching out to and trying to convince them and speaking to them in their own language, and that's that's all fine and good and everything, and basically trying to stir them up to declare World War III because, yeah, let's let's have this war now. Let's get it over with, basically. And since... I love the logic of this film. Since FM has come back in time, he is proof that there's no problem with radiation. Hey, this is great. Let's get this thing going. And it causes such a stir that people start writing songs and using phrases about how radiation is good for their stomach. And it's like, what the (laughs) hell? Well, I mean, it it is a ballsy statement to make in a film. World War Three is good for you. And he even inspires that one musical group to do that long song all about it. If you talk about taboos in this film, a much bigger taboo than the nudity and the sex is actually talking about Israel's nuclear capability, especially back then. It's a weird situation, but, you know, Israel had the bomb, but you were not allowed to say. Yeah, I'm as shocked as you are. No, (laughs) I I mean, it was actually supposed to be a secret. It was illegal to say that Israel had the bomb. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. No. It was like a national secret. Now, now, the the law still stands now. I mean, legally, even now, I'm not supposed to say that Israel has the bomb. But back then, it was like actually a serious thing that um, was like a secret that everybody in the know knew about it, but it was supposed to stay secret. And... Whenever, you know, somebody talked about it, then the Israeli press would have to say, according to foreign sources, Israel's nuclear, like they couldn't say. So in this movie, he pretty much says that Israel has, not only does he say that Israel has a nuclear nuclear program and and an A-bomb, but uh, Shimon Peres' face is shown (laughs) while he's saying it. Shimon Peres, former prime minister, actually he wasn't prime minister yet when the movie was made. He was prime minister a little bit later and recently president, but he he's also known to people who know what's going on as the father of Israel's nuclear program. So when they talk about that, they actually have a picture of him in the background, which is him, another another example of David Avidan uh, saying a big fuck you to anybody who might have a problem with the content of the movie. Now, I'm sure you guys kind of grew up with this film on television, played all the time, <laughs> main theme, tore up the charts. In a parallel universe, I think that happened. This made more money than um, Big Gus. What's the fuss in Israel? It's amazing. <laughs> I think it's a it's a dead heat between that and American Hippie and 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 uh, Message from the Future. I don't think any of those movies were released. Like again, Avidan is a guy from the arts world, really. I don't know if he thought in his mind that this movie has commercial potential. And you know, and <laughs> for instance, the Kung Fu apparently, and we'll talk later with our guest who knows more about this. But apparently, uh, he had a real interest in Kung Fu, not just futurism, but Kung Fu. I was reading through some of his poems, and Bruce Lee comes up a lot. I don't know if he practiced martial arts himself or not, but he definitely, <laughs> and he was definitely obsessed with sex. So he put a lot of his pet interests into it. One of the things that came up when I was reading about Avedon was uh, that his poetry is considered very cyclical. And I was like, well, I guess that kind of makes sense with the way that we're repeating things so often in this film. Especially the, the music coming up over and over again. What, what is that thing where it's like he's dictating that note to Shelley and he's like, blah, 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 Tel Aviv, all one word, lowercase a. Like he had to point that out to her i'm like what what is going no, on because he makes it because it's actually two words one of the things that Avidan does all the time is combine multiple words into one word 
that's what I'm like. Well, I thought it was two words with a capital A. Why are just like he's going on with this whole FM thing and future men, and also it's the name of this radio, the primitive radio technology from the 20th century, FM, and the time machine is a TTM, is a time traveling machine. In Hebrew, he does a lot more of this wordplay, you know, and, and really deconstructing the language and building it back up in interesting ways. Well, that was one thing I was curious about was when he is writing. I mean, because I've I've read some of his poetry, but it's all in English, and I'm not sure if he's you know native. You know, like is he writing both in Hebrew and English? Is he writing primarily in Hebrew? Is he writing primarily in English? Because it was a weird choice to me to do this whole movie primarily in English, though I could understand. Well, one, I could understand the international appeal, and then two. I was like, well, with the way that he's filming this with all of these voiceovers, it would be really simple to just re-record everything and just send it out as multiple languages. You could record this movie in French, for all we know, and, and you know, it's a, a global hit. It was strange to me that even the Israeli characters were speaking English, though, again, they're usually listening to the radio more than anything else. They don't really talk to each other that much. Yeah, they talk to each other a little bit. Then there's this whole sequence with uh, uh, these slogans that are coming over the radio that, let me just explain it to you, because you saw it like me, right, without any subtitles or anything. Correct. It wouldn't, actually, it wouldn't even make sense with subtitles, but what it is is something that I remember from childhood, which they actually used to do on, on TV and radio, which is give out completely cryptic two-word slogans like fresh paint you know stuff like that green onion and it's these slogans that are telling military units that they need to show up or something so it's like, like a coded message for the military and they would just play this especially during wartime on tv over tv and radio uh, with the same guy actually the announcer in the movie is the real announcer who would do this in real life huh. and and as a kid, you just watch there and sit there and watch this completely surreal thing unfold on TV where, where you just hear these nonsense slogans going off the air, thinking to yourself, what the fuck is going on? Is the world going to end now? Yeah. So there's a sequence of that, which is completely realistic. And it's just these gibberish, gibberish terms like, you know. Etzem Bagaron, Etzem Bagaron, Yarad, Yarad. Purple monkey dishwasher, purple monkey dishwasher. Yellow banana, yellow banana. <laughs> and you're like, it's so surreal. It's almost like, I guess in America you had like a test of the emergency response nuclear system or something. So it's like that. It's this weird apocalyptic thing that would actually happen. See, but at least ours over here would be like, this is a test of the system. It's not like this is an item on your grocery list. It sounds a little... <laughs> this is an emergency grocery list. Now, don't forget a loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. Rob, you had a really strong reaction to this film. I was really kind of surprised when you were IMing with us, and you just seemed to be kind of taken aback by this film in a good way. Oh, I... I really like this. It is so weird, but it's so enjoyable. And like I said, there's so many uh, like odd little things in there. And then the ending left me like, like people are like, oh, did the top stop spinning? Did the top stop? No. Try to figure out the ending of this one, because to me, it can go one of two ways. And we should just go ahead and talk about it since we posted it and you can watch the film. So spoiler, spoiler. 
So he goes to the UN and has his conversation with Dr. Asimov, who is amazed that uh, he knows his name. And he has this conversation with the folks at the UN. And then there we go back to the boardroom, like the, the very end of the film. It's back to the boardroom with the Japanese guy. And they're like, well, why don't you fire him? You hired him. So I'm led to believe that maybe Future Man is just a marketing gimmick that was created by the company. And he's not really the guy delivering a real message from the future. Or it could be that he is. And and that's a completely wrong read. I don't know. What did you get out of the ending? There's no reason for that Japanese guy to be in the movie whatsoever unless he happened to have hired Future Man, which just goes against everything that we've seen in the movie thus far. It's like, what? How? How could that be? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense because he seems to really be from the future and he can replicate himself. He makes like seven different copies of himself that he sends all over the world and he knows all these languages. But then, yeah, at the end, it feels like you can change paper headlines, all kinds of stuff. And then like in the ending, it's like, well, you hired him. It's like, huh? What? Yeah. And it seems like it was all a marketing gimmick for the tamp device, this two triangle thing that you put on your head and all of a sudden you can use telepathy. And I'm like, what? <laughs> was, was it all just a marketing gimmick? That's almost as good as the two, um, I guess, undertakers or whatever who show up on the island in American Hippie. I mean, it's just sort of like, eh, let them debate this one, whatever it means. I love open endings. I, I'm all, every time somebody has the balls to do a relatively open ending, I'm, I'm all for that. Oh, I'm not complaining. I mean, uh, getting back to my IMing with you, what was it in particular that you were kind of like, wow, uh, Rob's having a good time with this? I could see where you would say, what did you do to me? Why did you give me this movie? Because it is, it's very, I don't know, rustic, if that's the word, but it, it's very, it's a strange, strange film. Where, and I could see some people just not enjoying this whatsoever. I think I'm with you. I think I really enjoyed this movie. And it has this quality to it where it's like, it feels like somebody poured their heart and soul into this. There's some moments of humor. There's some rockin' tunes. And it's got this charm to it that I really liked. But I could really see where people would be like, oh my god, this is the worst movie ever made. Well, the only thing for me that gets annoying and it gets to the point where it's humorous is the old you know we paid for the song we're going to use it damn it but overall like i said I, I i agree with you i think the reason why it's enjoyable is that it does have that heart that it is trying to do something i mean people have talked about before well why why do people like ed wood's movies they're bad and it's like well because there's actually an authenticity and a voice and a personality versus some of the generic sci-fi films of the 50s that were bad but are just bad well why because there is no you, you don't get the feeling that the guy behind the camera is really trying to give you something he might be failing you know in his uh, quest to do so but at least he's trying to do something and you can pick up on that earnestness and that's what makes it interesting what's the name of that guy who worked with donna summer and he rescored metropolis there was a real kind of marauder feel to that main theme especially it just felt like it was you know going to turn into that donna summer song a little bit every once in a while i would start to feel it and i was kind of hoping that it would but we never really got there but we did see that like spinning thing a lot as the music is playing <laughs> oh, look. oh 
So many good things. <laughs> so let's go ahead, take a break. We'll be back to talk with Odin Carmeli about David Avedon, the man of singular vision who gave us a message from the future right after these brief messages. Let me ask you a question. Are you getting enough? I bet you'd love more, right? Well, adamneed.com wants to give you more with 10 free gifts. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, a specially selected toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. So what do you have to do to get your 10 free gifts? It's not hard. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code BOOTH at checkout, and you'll get all 10 free gifts. Go check out adamandeve.com today. Select one item and get 10 free gifts, including free shipping, when you enter offer code BOOTH. That's B-O-O-T-H at adamandeve.com. For you, the listeners of the Projection Booth Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day free trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You can download The Ice Harvest by Scott Phillips or another book of your choice for free by trying audible.com and it's yours to keep even if you cancel your subscription. To download your free audiobook today, Go to audibletrial.com forward slash projection booth. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash projection booth for your free audiobook. Hey fans, this is Reverend Scott. Just want to tell you about Outside the Cinema. Great company. They review cult films, any cult film, every cult film. And it's something you should tune into. So if you get a chance, go to the website, look these guys up, Outside the Cinema, and find out what the hot cult films are today, what's going on. These guys are right on the cutting edge of reviewing cult movies. If you're a cult member, or you want to be a cult member, you're thinking about being a cult member, your mom's a cult member, your dad's a cult member, your damn mother-in-law's a cult member, tune in outside the cinema, baby, and you'll find out what's going on. Reverend Scott, and that's out. Okay, we're back, and we're talking about a message from the future as opposed to a message from the future, which uh, I really could need right now, is that my shoulders are really tight, and I went and got a massage last week, and uh, the guy said it was like uh, massaging concrete. Anyway, uh, we're talking about this uh, crazy little Israeli film, and I thought, why not have a crazy little uh, American rejoin there? And we are talking to uh, Mr. Oded Carmeli and also our good friend Yanni Vettelstein, uh, both live in in uh, the room together over there in Tel Aviv. First of all, just let me point out that I'm not a big uh, film buff, but I saw this movie again this morning, and I really think this is the worst movie ever made, both in time present and past and probably future. Time forbid. And time forbid uh, that anyone will ever make such a film. Really awful, and I saw I saw some of Avidan's earlier cinematography uh, works, 
He actually had, I think, uh, about four short movies. This has got to be the worst, really. The, the, the other ones are like Andy Warhol kind of having sex and dropping acid. This is really, I think, the cocaine phase of Avidan's career. And you can tell. I really think you can tell he's, he's, switched, he's switching drugs here. So are you sure he's not an American filmmaker? Because there was a lot of coke during that period, I tell you, in the late 70s, early 80s. Woof. Exactly. This is, I mean, you talked about American hippie in Israel. This is not a weed kind of movie. This is a cocaine kind of movie. You can immediately tell. And, you know, Avidan, um, I, I, I got to say that Avidan really tried to make it big, uh, just like a small kind of uh, like a story about the way he, he made this film. His previous movie, Sex, was censored because it contained sex. So Avidan said, you know, my next film will be uh, all in English. I'll make it big in Hollywood. I'll stop writing poetry. He always hated writing poetry. It's funny. It's like a poet that really hates poetry. He always tried to make music and art and, and movies. And he really tried to make, make it big with this one. And he actually, he was obviously being a poet, very broke most of his life, all of his life. And when his mother died, he actually took all the money he ever got in his life for her apartment, sold the apartment, I think also like didn't give any money to his brother, uh, and invested everything he ever had in this film. I think it's $150,000, which is a lot of money, definitely back then, even now for a movie. For a poet. For a poet and for a mov- uh, for an Israeli movie, it's uh, it's a lot, a lot of money, and it failed completely, obviously, and he died. Uh, I, I think you can say he died of a combination of drugs and poverty. So this movie definitely, I mean, after this movie, not a lot of good stuff happens with Avidan's career. Well, you you're not a fan of this film. You say it's a it's, it's a bad film. It's not well done. But in terms of him being a poet, was he successful in that? I mean, was he a decent oh. poet? Is he important? Afidan is one of the greatest poets ever in Israeli literature. Uh, he is the first, uh, one of the first generation Israeli poets, not Hebrew poets. I mean, born in Israel, born in Tel Aviv, um, very successful, very famous, very uh, influential. Um, I think his like hallmark was parody. He always like makes fun of other kinds of writing. And I think you can also tell that in the movie. It's not just a sci-fi movie. It's a parody of a sci-fi movie. Uh, and the part with Dr. Dr. Asimov like goes to show that. Definitely Afridan is one of the greatest. This movie is based on a poem uh, he published in 1978. And it's called Message from the Future. And then it says a, a synopsis for a script. And has most of it is exactly the same as in the movie. Yeah, it, it ends with uh, all rights reserved. So he was serious, I uh, guess. Yeah, looking through this thing, if I can interject, he um, uh, he was all very obsessed with technology. He was very, very futuristic, talking about computers, talking about technology all the time, really sort of ahead of his time, definitely in this country. And apparently, I mean, this book, I'm holding it in my hand. It's called, um, let me see what it's called in English. It's called something like transmissions from a, it's called cryptograms from a telestar. <laughs> in Hebrew, it's called something a bit more like... Um, Transmissions from a Spy Satellite. And this book compiles his poetry from 1974 to 78, something like that. And apparently he had a little handheld recorder and he just spilled everything into his recorder and made a book of poetry out of it. So actually this 
transmission from the future is kind of like a note to self like 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 the main beats of this of basically the movie we just saw just as a note to self kind of thing remember to make this later again again with the shopping list being less of an expert and just browsing through this book i mean it's a little bit like looking through somebody's Facebook page. I mean, it's all these different kinds of writing, some of it very well thought out, some of it completely uh, just thrown, you know, thrown on the page. You talked a bit about him and what was his background? I mean, sort of when was he around and and what was he sort of mostly known for uh, as a writer, at least in, you know, in the country there? Basically, you talk about uh, the Israeli poetry revolution that was talk- during the late 50s, early 60s. S- till then, we had a long, dreary poet mainly writing about the new country, um, war, and uh, the need to sacrifice yourself to the motherland, that kind of stuff. And then comes along Avidan, this guy who was actually born in Israel, born in Tel Aviv, uh, born into the Hebrew language. Most, most of his predecessors were uh, not natives to, to the language at all. And Avidan is mostly known as the future man. Um, as, as Yaniv pointed out, um, he had a, the tape recorder. When the fax was introduced, he wrote fax poetry. Uh, before that, he dropped acid and had a famous book called David Avidan on Acid, My Trip with LSD. That, uh, a lot of different weird projects, usually not, again, he really hated Poetry. He always said, I don't want to be a poet. I don't want my readership to be the readership that reads poetry. I want to be more like the Beatles. I want to be more like Man from the Future. And his most, I think his most, by the way, his most famous like commentary about his own work is about, was made about this movie. And when asked why, why are you doing a movie in English? He said, I'm not operating in Tel Aviv. I'm operating from Tel Aviv. It sounds like he wanted to be much more populist because obviously he saw poetry as the the land of intellectuals and he wanted to bring his ideas more to the general public, the everyday person. Is that what you'd say? Definitely. Uh, I mean, he was sort of popular for a short while also outside the country. By the way, if you read any of his translated works, he mostly translated himself. He translated himself to several languages. He just sat with a dictionary and sort of made things up. Uh, there's actually one book when he have one long poem translated into nine languages. He all did himself. So that's pretty impressive. But, I mean, eventually, um, I, mean, I think of Vidan, he didn't really want to make it. He just wanted to sort of not die. I mean, his main obsession was with death. All the, the futuristic things, it was always sort of his way of, of avoiding the inevitable. He used to do a lot of crazy things like, I don't know, he used to drink um, like this mixture made from um, monkey balls. What? Honestly, monkey balls. He ordered like monkey ball powder from Africa or whatever. And because someone told him you could live to, to be 200 if you drink that shit. Um, all kind of crazy, crazy things. Avidan definitely tried not to die. I think that's his main thing. You know, th- th- this this book was published in the 30th century publishing house, uh, his own label, obviously. He claimed to have been born in the 30th century and being brought back here to Tel Aviv. So basically, this, this movie is sort of autobiographical, you know. He's attempting to make a movie about his life as he would 
want them to be. Was David Avidan, was that his real name? Yeah, it is. Why? Okay. Well, I was just looking at his name because it looks like it. it's almost his name being repeated inside of his name. You know, like David, and then if you start with the D, you've got another David, and then the A-N. It gets weirder. He had a brother called Nadiv Avidan, right? His brother's name was Nadiv Avidan, which is actually a palindrome. Weird. Okay, because I was looking at it like that. I was like, it's almost a palindrome, but not quite. So there you go. So his brother, his brother was called. Was his? Was it his real name? Real, the real name. And Nadiva Vidan, his profession was writing crossword puzzles right. for the he paper. Made, he made cryptic, cryptic uh, puzzles, and it was puzzles by Nadiva Vidan. You'd, yeah. you'd see it, and it was weird. Yeah, you'd, you'd say, like, is this a real person? Message from the future, as I was kind of joking about before, big hit or not quite? Never. It was shown, I think, three or four times Nobody in the cinema seconds. No one ever saw this film. Seems like we have a thing for Israeli movies that nobody's ever seen, Mike. Well, it's three for three. That's why I suggested that we do a fourth one about a big hit that everybody loves just for a change of pace. Yes. Lemon Popsicle coming up, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, okay, so uh, American Hippie was uh, it didn't do anything and someone kept it in a broom closet. This didn't do anything and was kept in a broom closet. Then Big Gus, uh, Lloyd just doesn't want you to watch it. So there you go. Those are our three Israeli episodes so far. Well, I'll tell you, I was actually thinking about this a little bit, you know, because if you think about American Hippie and Message from the Future, and I also just recently, last week, I saw the Electric Boogaloo documentary about Canon Films and Golan and Globus. And in all of these, you get sort of different glimpses of this admittedly stereotypical, but apparently there's some truth to it, you know, stereotype of the pushy Israeli who is consumed with passion for his project and he's going to go out and make it, especially if you think about David Vidan and Amos Sefer who made American Hippie. These are people, and Menachem Golan with his productions and his films as a director, these are people who are really passionate about their projects and they don't care about the uh, accepted way of doing things. Parts that they care about they're going to make them and the parts in the middle whatever will fill it fill it up somehow with something and the 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 audience will figure it out i'll figure it out it doesn't matter get it out there get it out there especially if you look at menachem golan i mean he was the the king of uh, whatever just get it out there and i was just thinking a little bit that maybe that's a little bit of a microcosm of what israel is like because israel is this young country that was thrown together in the aftermath of world war ii there was no time to do it properly. It's like, like throw it together, whatever. It'll be a country, and especially when you live here, you totally, you're totally aware. You know, even now, sixty something years later, that this is a country that's been thrown together. And so, actually, I think that in a way, these movies are such great uh, examples of what uh, Israel is all about. And hopefully, our next movie as well that we're going to talk about next time. That's an interesting philosophical look at those sort of the ties that bind the, the movies that we uh, have discussed so far. Because I'm always fascinated in the the cultural background that brings out these things. Like what was going on in the zeitgeist that fostered this idea or why did someone think to make this thing? And I think it's interesting that you find sort of a, a philosophical connection with the larger uh, country in some way in terms of this. Well, it's all ad hoc and we got to figure it out as we go along. Yeah, I kind of wish that that documentary, maybe there's an, another doc that should be in the works talking about Golan before 
he became part of Canon Films before that was around because he made quite a few hits when it came to Israeli films. I know that some of his musicals were very popular, and I would like to see that kind of discussed as well. Well, the personal thing that I always say about Golan is that I think he was his tragedy was that he was a great producer and a terrible director. And honestly, because a lot of uh, most of even the movies he made in Israel that were hits are not very good films, sadly. But he did did have have an eye as a producer for thinking about great projects. But sadly, he didn't know how to direct them. He would just throw a bunch of, you know, actors and 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 sometimes directed himself or find somebody directed and. If only he would have set up the whole production because he was a great, great producer. And we just find, you know, cinematic talents who could direct the movie cinematically in a good way. They would have been good films. Maybe it's even a good um, idea for a fictionalized account of, uh, you know, a guy in a country with no film industry who's this bulldozer who's, uh, you know, he's going to he's going to throw together his vision and uh, and make it. You know, he made this. Uh, in 1976, there was the, the Raid on Entebbe, the real Raid on Entebbe. Three competing productions uh, rushed to get this movie made, three separate movies of the same, uh, of the same uh, event. And not only was Golan's production first to market, but he built this enormous set. He duplicated the, 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 the Entebbe airport and built it with fake, fake jets that blew up and everything. It's an amazing production, really amazing production. But I don't know if it's a great movie, but it's a great production. And that race to the finish line, Mike, and you know this because of Graydon Clark, I had the biggest laugh when I read Graydon's book about the battle between the two guys over there at, at Canon who had the falling out and were battling to get their Lombada film to theaters first. The great Lombada war. Yeah, so good. And that they ended up releasing them on the same day. Yeah. Even though I think Golan won, but the way that the studio handled it, they totally screwed it up. And of course, this amazing epilogue of this documentary prodding the production of a competing Golan Globus documentary and those two documentaries coming out at the same time in 2014, which is really just the last echo of canon films from beyond the grave. In the, in the credits of Electric Boogaloo, it says, Golan and Globus heard about this film being made and rushed to make their own competing documentary about themselves. I mean, it's, it's, the mind boggles. You couldn't write that kind of stuff. No. I haven't seen the Go-Go Boys yet. That's like the authorized uh, biography of Canon Films, so that's, I guess, the more whitewashed one. Well, they must have saw a market. They figured if someone was going to make a documentary on them, why not cash in and make their own? <laughs> make five different versions of it. <laughs> Put Chuck Norris in two of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Norris will be Golan and Bronson will be Globus. So we've mentioned a couple films that are kind of similar to a Message from the Future. Can you guys think of other future people coming back? I mean, of course, there's Terminator. And we talked a lot about uh, Transfers a few weeks ago. But as far as people having uh, either messages for us or just um, wanting to warn us about things that are happening. Did you guys happen to think of any more films that people who are interested in the future might be able to uh, sink their teeth into? No, but I did want to add, because when we started IMing about this, I made some Criswell joke. And actually, that was before I watched the film. When I watched the film, a lot of it is so Criswell-like. Yeah, like I said, I could not stop thinking of Ed Wood. Even when you're talking about that kind of spirit of throw it together and see what works and rush, rush, rush and get it out there, I'm so reminded of that kind of guerrilla style that Wood had and just some of these other lower-budget filmmakers where it's like, we don't care what's going to happen. I've got a vision, and I want to get it on film. Worst film you ever saw? 
Well, my next one will be better. Hello? Hello? The only one that came to my mind other than Terminator and Transfers was this uh, Czechoslovakian film called Tomorrow I'll Wake Up and Scald Myself with Tea. No, I saw I saw it ages ago. I remember it was really sort of funny, like a funny time travel comedy. I really like this film a lot. It's from, I want to say, 1970, and it's a uh, 77, and it's uh, Jindrik Polak who directed this, and I found it hysterical. It's this whole, like, time travel is a pretty regular thing, and these neo-Nazis uh, want to go back in time and equip Adolf Hitler with a nuclear bomb. And this time travel pilot that they have is a sympathizer, but of course he chokes on a croissant the day that he's supposed to take this trip and his twin brother replaces him. So there's all this stuff. I mean, there's time travel loops, there's disruption of the space-time continuum, there's mistaken identities, of course, because of the brother. So it, it just goes on and on, and I found it to be absolutely hysterical, and I wish more people knew about it. There's also one that I really like. I'm a huge fan of Oldrich Lipsky. And he did one called I Killed Einstein, Gentlemen. That is, actually, that's the 1970 film. And it's the future, and all the women in the world have beards. And they have beards because they were exposed to radiation from the big war. And they send back this guy to kill Einstein because they figure if he doesn't do his you know theory of relativity and if he's just not around science will stall and they won't come up with a nuclear bomb so he he's on a mission to go back in time and rather than kill hitler he wants to go back and kill einstein because they're sick of their women having beards in the future <laughs> how does that make them have beards because of the nuclear radiation from the the third world war so in that case, nuclear radiation is not as healthy as it's portrayed to be in Message from the Future. You should do an episode. I, I just rewatched Lemonade Joe the other day. Oh, I love that film. I love Lipsky's work. Uh, that's his only film that I've seen, but he's so great. I'm sure I have to see this stuff. There's one I highly recommend called Happy End, where it's all completely shot backwards. And this, of course, is years before Memento. And the way that the lines are... He's making jokes by doing the lines backwards, like it's it's in order, wow. but and it's not being shown backwards, but just the way that it plays. Oh, it's it's wow, amazing. I have to see that. Did you ever do an episode on one of those films or any any of those Czech films? Not yet, but I really I'm looking forward to doing one. I have to find my Czech equivalent. Some 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 guy in Prague will talk to you about these old movies. Yes, I'm an expert on obscure Czech cinema. Well, with social media, you can, it can happen. You can make it happen. There's actually an older Chlipsky museum over in in Prague, I think. Yeah, and uh, it's got different scenes from his movies, kind of like played out in still lifes and stuff, and it's just amazing. So, like, there's a a guy with a knife in his back that's supposed to represent four murders are enough, honey, and all these things. It's great. I would love to go to Prague and see that sometime. By the way, something just came in regards to, like, does it remind you of anything? Well, obviously, this 30th Century Presents was later a gag that was done by Futurama. Every episode of Futurama ends with 30th Century Fox. It did influence people. Yeah, That's he's a little bit like, you know, who else? Sun Ra, you know? He also made oh, a yeah. about himself, and he also had his alternate uh, history that he was born on Jupiter and came to Earth to educate us. So a little bit of that. 
And his yeah. movie is a great movie. The Sun Ra, you know, future Egyptologist movie, whatever the hell it's called, is so good. I mean, his uh, probably most well-known piece for folks who aren't uh, hip to Sun Ra is Space is the Place. So if you're, That's uh, right, if Space you're in, is the Place. If you're into uh, sort of odd jazz, uh, he's a good guy to get into. He was always popular around Detroit for some reason. I think he was in <laughs> big with uh, John Sinclair and all those uh, crazy hippies in the MC5. And he's also a guy who just came from music and made one really out there movie. Yeah, very DIY kind of person. Oh, but that movie is awesome. So trippy. I, I feel like watching it right now. We're going to take another break and play a preview for next week's show. Purple in the morning, blue in the afternoon, orange in the evening. Just like that. One, two, three, four. That's right, we're back next week with the light and fluffy comedy Requiem for Dream. It's slapstick fun on the projection booth once again. Before we go, I want to thank this week's guest co-host, Yaniv Edelstein, for coming on the show. And thanks again, uh, Oded, for being on the show. Yaniv, when we spoke to you on our Big Gus What's the Fuss episode, uh, it was a little bit over a year ago. What's been new with you? Well, I've been on hiatus with the American Hippie for, uh, for the last year. Uh, but we just did a screening last week, so um, it was, comp- again, full house, um, the demand's still there, we'll see. And as for, I mean, I didn't want to talk about it because now I was going to try and do another episode with you guys, but actually it started a little bit of a collaboration that might lead to uh, to something, and it's really early, so I don't want to talk about it. The next movie that I wanted to talk to you guys about, I'm going to try and get a, get a really good um, version of it and do good English subtitles for it. So I'll just be mysterious and not say what it is, and hopefully we'll have a great episode sometime in the future about that. Yeah, sounds good. All right, well, thanks again, Yaniv, and thanks to our guest, Oded Carmeli, for coming on oh, the show. Thank thanks to everyone for listening. Now, we've had a few new listeners since that marathon seven-hour Conan the Barbarian episode. So we want to encourage folks who haven't yet to go over to iTunes and give us a review, a couple of stars. You can head over to the website and leave feedback. Help spread the word about the podcast in any way you can through social media. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, don't keep it a secret any longer. We've received a message from the future that our (laughs) iTunes ranking is very important. Uh, You know, they once laughed at the horseless carriage, the airplane, telephone, electric light, vitamins, radio, and even television. Now... Some laugh at us. God help us in the future.
If you enjoy this show and want more people to know about it, head on over to iTunes, leave a comment, and rate it five stars. Make sure you like and share us on Facebook, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Just search for Christopher Media. Thank you in advance for supporting Christopher Media by clicking on the PayPal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support ChristopherMedia.net. Most importantly, we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you. Christopher Media could not exist without your support. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net, and thank you for listening. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. You don't need more than five fingers to handle a solar system, even a galaxy. You don't need more than ten to control the entire universe.